Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 27 of the Movement is Medicine podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Carr, and I'm joined today by my great friend and co-worker, Vinny Toludo. Vinny, how are you today? I'm good. First time on the podcast. Yeah, Happy yeah. to be here. I know. You did another podcast, you know, <laughs> little podcast last week, yeah. but I figured this time, you know, you started with the Strength Coach podcast, Anthony, but now you're up to the big leagues. Yeah. I feel like, and you're I feel like getting promoted. So you're, yeah, you're, you're prepared. You have one under your belt, so... Now you're ready for the big leagues. I won't hold it against you. You're 45 minutes late today. Uh, you know, it's that now that you're a little star, you're on a podcast, you can show up whatever time you want. So um, we get a nice Italian pilsner here. Feeling, cheers. Feeling at home. Keeping tradition. It's it's almost noon. So it's also really cold outside. So I think it's okay if you start drinking a little earlier. I'm going to blame the cold weather for my tardiness. I'm actually just uh, going to have you drink today so I can hopefully miss a workout tomorrow. <laughs> So I can catch up to you in our My Zone Challenge because uh, it's coming down to the last week. For those of you that have followed Mike Bullshit with Conditioning and within the staff, we have our own staff challenge. And Vinny and Dan and I are battling for uh, eight, ninth, 10th, and 11th place. And we have no aspirations to get into first. None at all, actually. Um, no one's going to catch Cat or Bree in the top two. Um, but I just want to stay in the top 10. Yeah, so if we got to stay out of the double digits. Yeah, if we can just get into the top 10. That's all that matters. So we got about a week to go here. So, um, but I really want to have Vinny on. I'm trying to highlight all the people who are guest speakers at the winter seminar or spring seminar, I should say, April 1st and 2nd. I have Pat Van Galen on last. I have Scott Livingston coming up and I'm going to work my way through the MBSC staff, including Mike, um, in the next few weeks or two months here, really. Um, and I want to get Vinny on to talk a little bit about himself. For those of you who don't know him, I think that if you've come to the seminar in the past, if you've come to any of our CFSC events that so you're familiar with NBC, you're probably familiar with Vinny. But for those of you who are not, um, why don't you kind of tell everyone about, you know, who you are, where you're from, and how you ended up in NBSC? All right, cool. Um, yeah, so I'm Coach Vinny Toledo. I've been working at NBSC for nine years now, which is kind of crazy to think about. But um, grew up in the Boston region, 20 minutes from Boyles, and I come from a big Italian family which is good and bad. Uh, <laughs> can only, you can only imagine how many times I've been introduced as this is my cousin Vinny. That gets, <laughs> that gets really old really fast. But uh, I went to UMass Lowell. Um, I studied exercise physiology. I had a minor in psychology and nutrition. Um, their senior year, I did a senior practicum at the UMass Lowell um, weight room where I got to meet Devin McConnell, which was if you guys aren't familiar now, he's with the Arizona Arizona Coyotes. Um, but he's the one who really kind of turned me on to Mike Boyle's strength conditioning and was like, if you're thinking about strength conditioning, that's kind of the place you want to be um, for an internship. Mm -hmm. Long story short, I reached out um, and applied. And, of course, I applied late. So Mike was like, hey, if you want to come in, you can do an interview. So I was really excited. Showed up, had a shirt and tie on, and Mike was like, you know, it seems like you're serious about this. You got your shirt and your tie on. Um, just bonus if you're ever going to an interview for strength and conditioning, you should wear that. Yes. Helps you stand out a little bit. Got me through it past the Steve Bunker test as yeah. well. I felt like a complete fool coming into Same. the gym. Like it, everyone's in shorts <laughs> and t-shirts and everyone looks at you. And now it happens now when we're there. Mm -hmm. You see someone come in and I'm like, I know how it feels. But I'm, whoever they are, they're dressed up. They get a little bit of extra yeah. points. You get a little nod if you, if you do that. Um but yeah, and then I've been there ever since. I uh, did the internships. Kevin and Brennan were my intern coordinators. Um, and I loved it. Like, I loved not only learning about strength and conditioning, but the emphasis they put on education is really is what made me want to stay. Um, and then you just, I've gone through the ladder there. I've been intern coordinator, um, adult and athlete programmer, director, um, got to teach, got to learn the CFSC. So now I get to travel which is kind of crazy to think about as a strength and conditioning coach. You get to travel all over the world, teaching our principles and our systems um, to other coaches and to other facilities, which is awesome. I always say, like, when you were in the internship, right, you first start coaching a bunch and you're, like, all jazzed up. You think, like, I'm just going to coach kids forever. And you're, like, happy. Mm -hmm. Like, and I'm still happy. That's, like, probably what you and I enjoy doing the most is, like, just coaching groups, right? But at the time, you don't realize – the potential you might have in your career, as far as like you said, it's kind of crazy. You went to Brazil, you went to, you've been all over the world. Yeah. Right. Middle East. Middle yeah. East, you've been everywhere teaching. And you never think that like that could be an extension of what you do, but it goes back to the start with why thing with Simon Sinek. I always say like, if you just stay true to your why, the what could really change or just expand. Like you're needing to never go away from coaching, but the potential for what you do is much larger 
um, where some people just focus on the what, like I'm just going to coach. But if you just think about, hey, I want to spread really good coaching and programming as far as possible, whether that's to the you know 12-year-old kids in your group mm-hmm. or to you know 25 coaches in a course when you're in Lebanon, then you know it's the same end goal for you, right? And so Absolutely. I always tell people, um, you know, when you start at a facility or you start working, think of it in those terms because all of a sudden, like I never would have thought mm-hmm. when I was coaching um, those high school and middle school kids, uh, back in like 2008, 2009, that this would be where we had it now, but it just goes to show, uh, if you keep working, uh, all of a sudden a lot of things open up to you. Absolutely. And I think for a young coach, it's just, just saying, being a yes man saying yes to everything. And the more you say yes, the more opportunities and doors are going to open for you. So whether it's an early morning client or taking coverage or staying late, it's the more you do that, the more people uh, appreciate it, but then they also realize you're the first person that kind of pops into their head about, hey, I need coverage, or, you know, Vinny's really eager, or Kevin's really eager. Um, The more you do that, the more doors are going to open for yourself. Yeah, I learned really early at MBSC with Mike and Bob, you wanted to be the yes man, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I was, and I realized early, like, Bob was the person that you wanted to be, like, on his radar, because he was in there from eight to five all day, every day, like, kind of floating around the floor, like, seeing what's going on, and I want to be like, yeah, what do you need? Do you, what do we always say to the interns? If you have nothing to do, either ask us or ask Bob, uh, what can I do? Absolutely. And then all of a sudden you get opportunities. Brendan and I, there were no adult groups really before Brendan and I. There were a couple of night groups. It's nothing in the mornings. And talk about being a yes fan. Bob and Mike were like, uh, we want to do a 5.30 in the morning group. And it was like Brendan and I looking at each other being like, there was no one else really behind us, too far behind us as far as uh, being younger on the staff. And we're like, I guess that's us. So I did Monday, Wednesday, Brendan did Tuesday, Thursday. But now there's like six morning groups, yeah. right? Um, and so we, we kind of grew that. But it was like you got to you pull the short straw when the young person. But then all of a sudden, a lot of opportunities came. There was like internship jobs, things like that. They would look to towards you mm-hmm. because they knew that that person was willing to work. Yeah. Um, and that's really it's the hard truth of starting, especially in this industry, that like just take opportunities when they come. Um, because all of a sudden they can snowball into something much, much larger, uh, down the road. Absolutely. Right? Um, so, you know, one thing that where I think we're known for really at Mike Bush and Condition more thing is our group training approach, uh, whether it's with athletes or with adults, we run, we run large scale group training from 5am to 9pm with adults, with middle school kids, with high school kids, with college kids, with professionals. Um, and one thing we pride ourselves on is that we're able to keep the quality really high we're able to run it very efficiently like a factory always says i mean there's a group every 15 minutes so there's not a lot of wiggle room for things going too slow or things going too fast and we're able to individualize within those constraints mm-hmm. and that kind of boils down to everything we have in the facility from the way the facility's set up the equipment that we buy um it's tailored to the specific populations that we have um the coaches we bought we we hire are there to support that we find people who we think can lead a group of people. Um, and then we have systems in place to try to um, support that. So we have to think of those four variables all the time, the clients, the facility, um, the coaches, and the systems that we build. And I know that your presentation, what is it called at the Spring Seminar? So it's going to be uh, the DNA around group or semi-private group training. So what what does that entail? Yeah. And so what do you think when you look at group training, when you look at the outside of the MBSC bubble, when you go travel, when you go to other facilities, where do you think that people struggle? Because the thing that people often say with group training is the quality's bad, the coaching's bad. You picture like the raw, raw coach who just kind of leads people through and then you look at the way people are moving and it looks like a disaster. Where do you think that most facilities struggle to be able to execute these things well and keep the coaching quality high? I think for me, um, it comes down to like three things and it's, it's really like they're not programming correctly for the group size that they're working with. So whether it's three people or 15 or 20 people, you have to know how many people are going to show up and that's going to dictate your programming. The second thing I think is the art of coaching, which is all the soft skills that are involved. Cause like you said, it's like, if I have a group, how can I create an experience, which is the last thing client experience make it feel like they're not just a number in the group, mm-hmm. within the group. Like, how can I make an individualized coaching for that person? Mm-hmm. 
So that's what really I think my presentation is going to touch on is those three things is programming, um, the art of coaching, and then client experience. And so when you talk about programming, I want to get to the art of coaching thing next. Mm -hmm. um, when you talk about programming, I think that, you know, sometimes people might look at what we do, mm -hmm. right, and say, like, oh, why didn't you choose this exercise? Or why don't you do this exercise? And what most people realize is the training decisions aren't necessarily always philosophy-based decisions, but they're very often logistical decisions, right. right? When you have a group of 10 or 12 kids or adults in front of you, you have to say, am I able to coach 12 Turkish get-ups? Am I able to coach 12 back squats? Am I able to coach 12, you know, insert complicated or difficult exercise for person? And often the answer is no. Mm -hmm. But the good thing about training is there's a lot of different tools that you can utilize to get to the same place. And so um, maybe speak to that a little bit about like when you're looking at a group, I know you have your conditioning group in the morning that has a pretty diverse population of people who some have been here for a long time, but some people with injuries um, or your athlete groups. When you look like how do you manage a group and think about what is your exercise selection so that you can provide them the optimal experience, but then you can, that also means that you can coach it. Right. I think it, like the best coaches and the ones who've been doing this a long time are really flexible in their approach. So like you said, I'm not going to program a really co two coaching intensive exercises back to back because I need to be able to effectively coach 10 or 12 people at once. So it's being able to think about and write your program ahead of time and be prepared not just flying with like a chicken with their head come off during the session, which I see a lot of younger coaches do or inexperienced coaches doing. They're prepared. They know what they want to do. And then they have a really sound understandings of their progressions or aggressions and lateralizations. So knowing who's in your group and knowing their injury history and knowing their movement quality. So from the start of the session, you're assessing their movement patterns so that when you go into the weight room, you know, okay, I'm going to need a mini band for this person squatting. I'm going to need to be able to set up the weight room the way that I want to make it flow and the logistics to work properly. All these decisions that you're making ahead of time so that you're not, you're being proactive about it versus reactive about it. Mm -hmm. And you just touched on the idea of facilities and that's something that somebody, people often overlook. Like I was at a gym recently and I was talking with people there about them wanting to run more groups specifically because they want to try to get more revenue, get more people in the door. But then I went around the facility and had like one or two of every piece of equipment it was all spread out. It wasn't set up in a way that they could even do it. They could have the right amount of clients, the great coaches, they could have a system, but nothing was set up in a matter to run groups. And it's sometimes a hard conversation. I say, you see what your gym looks like mm -hmm. right now? You have to move all the shit. Like, and as you know, you and I have moved more dumbbell racks oh, yeah. <laughs> than we, or even squat racks than we care to even think about. Like every year I'm like, oh, it's like spring cleaning. Like Mike comes in and says, I want to move this rack over here. But for good reason, because it's going to better support the flow um, of the groups. And you have to be willing to say, okay, I'm going to you know, move these racks here, move these dumbbells here. So I talked to them. I said, what size group do you want? They're like, you know, eight to 10 people. It was similar to us. I said, well, then you need eight to 10 of everything. And you need to have it set up in a way that everyone can access it. So then when you have another group coming in right after it, that they have their equipment, they have their equipment. And they were like, oh, man, that's like I have to buy this equipment or something. Like, that's what you need to do to run it efficiently. I think many people think, like, if I just have the programming, right. that it'll work. But then you end up having a lot of uh, logistical issues in the execution. I think a couple of things pop up with that. And I think that this is what MBSC, like, kind of separates from most gym is we talk about this in our staff meetings. Like, yeah. where do we see the clusters? Where do we see all the mess up? How's our timing? How's our spacing? Um, but that's a big part of our pro writing our program, not just executing the program. Mm -hmm. So how's it, how's it look on the floor? Are we bumping into each other? Um, is there not enough equipment? Um, and I would tell the other, like a gym owner who doesn't have an endless budget and maybe can't afford to do eight to 10, like buy eight to 10 of these things. It's like, okay, well, if I have four people in a group, one person has to start at this station and have kind of station set up where you're rotating people through. Mm -hmm. So then when you could get away with having two or three of things, as opposed to having everyone kind of waiting around for a pair of dumbbells or a Kaiser machine. Mm -hmm. um, and that goes into, again, preparation and thinking about, okay, if I have this many people, how do I make this program work properly? Yeah. And I'll even say like, it's funny to even say this, but I really think COVID was one of the best things for us yeah. from a organizational standpoint, because if you think about it, if I think about like before COVID and how we ran groups and it worked, but it was crazy. And they were like, we didn't have people in assigned spaces, mm -hmm. a lot of sharing equipment, a lot of grouping up. Now 
everyone has their own rack, their own platform, their own set of dumbbells, their own set of, like everything is organized because we had to do that before because we couldn't share equipment. People had to be spaced out. And now we're, we realize like, well, there's a way better way to do things mm -hmm. if you're going to do group training because everyone has their own space. And so I always tell people like, I did that video on our YouTube of like, this is how we run groups at NBSC and tried to show people like, this is set up for a reason like this. And then if we're gonna make a change in programming, we have to ask, okay, is the facility gonna support that? And if it isn't, like for instance, like we can't do bench and chin-ups on the same day, mm -hmm. right? Because we need the racks. Like that's a programming, logistical programming decision, not a philosophy decision. Um, we we, yeah, I mean, I was just gonna uh, piggyback yeah. off that. It's like COVID's made us be almost time sensitive of, okay, I'm at this time period. I need to move, I need to move on to the next station. Mm -hmm. So we're so detail oriented when it comes to our programming and our systematic approach that like we know after 10 minutes, we need to start dynamic warm up and move on from foam rolling and stretching. Mm -hmm. Like that's how detailed you want to be with this stuff um, because it's going to make your program run a lot more efficiently. Yeah. And so you talked a little bit about details for progressions or regressions and lateralizations. And one thing I always say when we at CFSC is like planned rigidity allows for adaptable flexibility, right? If you have a system that you understand cold, like you, you don't need to carry the progression regression sheet in your pocket. You just know the way that we make things easier, harder, or lateralize away from something. Um, when you're running a group, it's because you have a system, it's very easy for you to be like, okay, uh, well, you can't do a single leg squat, we're gonna do a split squat, or you can't do a split squat, we're gonna do a supported split squat, or we're gonna do a, a bilateral squat. Like you're able to just make adjustments. But if you don't have that system, it becomes, uh, let's try this exercise. Let's try this exercise. So sitting and looking at your program, the things that you believe in, and then writing them out and saying, this is how I believe we should progress things, this is how we should regress things. And it's still just a playbook. So there's many often times that you're gonna be like, I'll choose something else. But if you have at least a structure, 80% of the time, you're probably gonna just be right, right? Which is way better than uh, just making a decision on the fly. Yeah, I think it always, like I always uh, relate it to like playing sports is, mm -hmm that's your practice before the group starts. Like group time is when your group starts, that's when the game starts. It's all the preparation that you're doing beforehand. And it's memorizing, it's knowing, it's really having a sound understanding of your regressions and your lateralizations. Because everyone thinks like you see on Instagram, all the cool new exercises, oh, this is way harder. But the reality is if you're lifting heavy enough, like that's gonna be challenging within mm -hmm. itself. It's when someone has an injury or something doesn't feel right or doesn't look right, how are you changing? That's what coaching is. Mm -hmm. If you don't love it, then you got to change it. Exactly. exactly. And you, and you want to be, it's like, if there's a fire, you got to put up a fire. Mm -hmm. You don't, eh, it kind of looks all right. It's like, whatever you're allowing to go is going to either get worse or someone might potentially get hurt. Yeah. And I think that understanding your client population and like, we always talk in the meetings, like, Think about the bell curve, like when we build the adult program or build the athlete program, like what can the average 15 year old boy do? Mm -hmm. What could possibly go wrong in this situation? Or like with the adult group, you think like, what could the average person do? I think sometimes, especially when you say like social media, people tend to program primarily for like what they think is the coolest or what they can do. Mm -hmm. And you realize that coaches, you're so far and away different than the people who are in your group. And that disconnect continues to grow, I think, more as people do more online coaching because you don't actually see people every single day doing the exercises. I think that you stay very grounded in what is realistic training when you actually have to work with people in person every day. Um, whereas if you just send them a program on the internet, uh, it's great, right? But they're not, you're not necessarily going to see them struggling every day. You're not going to necessarily hear the gripes of the things that they struggle mm -hmm. with where you're like, yeah, that wasn't a good decision. Right. Um, and so I think if you're going to do group training, especially in person, like having a really solid understanding of your population and then programming conservatively, cause you can always make it more difficult. Mm -hmm. But when you're managing a group of 10 people, it's very hard. Like you said, like you're trying to give them that individual experience where they feel like you're coaching them. It's very hard to do that if you have to go and fix something on one end and adjust something on this end, adjust something on this end. We're trying to program reactive, proactively rather so that they are most likely going to walk into the progression that's right for them. And, and I think you nailed it. Um, when we were writing a program and that's kind of, this is where like the art of it is, is okay, you can't just walk up to somebody like, hey, you suck at this. We have to change this <laughs> exercise, right? So how are you communicating with them? 
How are you making it feel like, hey, I'm doing this because I care about you. I want this exercise to feel better. I don't want you to power through it. I noticed you're doing arm circles after you did bench press. Does that not feel good, right? They're never going to tell you these things, but this is where like, the old hands on the back and <laughs> yeah. like touch the toes thing right. and they do. So you're always assessing, you're always watching your co- your clients and the better coaches are very um, reactive when they see these things. But I think Mike, I think it was Mike who said this, but I think us as coaches get bored when we program yeah. because we're doing 30 sessions a week, 40 sessions a week. But the reality is the common adult or athlete comes in two times a week. So we're spending two hours, maybe three hours in your facility they don't need to change it up as frequently as we think they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the art of coaching things difficult, right? Because it's, it's kind of um, one of those traits that like, you can't really put your finger on. Like mm-hmm. when you think about when we have interns and new staff, you kind of know in the first few weeks, like which person has the probably combination of emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. confidence, communication skills that you're like, this person can lead. And it can be developed. Like I definitely I, can develop I, it, yeah. I am a prime example of that. Mike tells a story all the time. When I was an intern, um, Nicole Rodriguez was like my biggest fan, which was huge for me because she was the intern director. I love Nicole. And she said to Mike, like, we really want to hire this guy. And Mike had no idea who I was. <laughs> <laughs> and so this was in like 2008, 2009. And um, he he was like, oh, he doesn't really say anything. He's kind of quiet. Mm-hmm. I was not confident, like projecting a voice. I never led a group. And Nicole pulled me in. This was probably like three quarters of the way through the internship and said like, listen, if you want to get hired, Mike needs to like hear you coach. Mm-hmm. And so I remember being like, all right, I'm just going to just get out there and start being loud. And now I'm like really loud. Yeah. But it's a skill. Right. And then you gain confidence. I was, I'm more extroverted than I've ever been. And it's a result of coaching because it's a trait that is very valuable in our business. It's a trait that's very valuable on the floor, but it's not a trait that it was natural to me. And, um, some people naturally have it. Courtney, like naturally is an extroverted person, yeah. very social Courtney Moulton who works for us. She was someone who, when they came in, you're like, okay, she's very extroverted. She can lead. She, she's social. But some people you just develop it over time, but it, it is not something that you can just study in a textbook. You have to get in front of people and figure out your voice, so to speak. Yeah. And I think a good analogy for people is like, it's dial, it's dial switches. Yeah. You can't always be cranked up at a 10 because yeah. people will tune you out number one or get annoyed with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and for maybe the introverted person, I know a lot of great coaches are introverted, mm-hmm. um, but they know when they have their group, it's time to put on a show yeah. and they do need to be a little bit, like you said, louder than they normally would be because the person who's on the far end of the gym needs to be able to hear you. Um, and it's just that constant kind of dial switch of when working one-on-one, I can kind of take it back and be a little bit more soft-spoken yeah. um, and have more conversation versus now it's time to kind of clap and be loud and turn the music up like high. Like we're in the summer, there's over a hundred people in our facility. Yeah. Um, if you're being too reserved or you're standing around off to the side, people aren't going to want to be around you. People aren't going to, go out of their way to be in your group. Mm-hmm. So the coaches who do it really well are the ones who have a personality or are fun to be around. Those are the people, those are the groups that people are going to want to sign up for. Yeah. And the truth is really being a personal trainer, being a group coach are almost two different skill sets. Yep. You don't, I didn't realize that um, until I started doing both because like good personal trainer, like I would say Steve Bigelow, he does both really well, but he's great personal trainer because he's able to have a conversation about a wide range of topics. Steve can talk to the wall if you have, if you yeah. have but he has yeah. enough knowledge, but I think he can have a conversation with like any client that he has um, and being able to, and he's, you know, you're not allowed in a personal training situation, but you're relatable mm-hmm. and you communicate well. Whereas in a group situation, like you said, it's about being able to be a leader for a big group mm-hmm. and then zone in on one person when you need to have a little conversation, little conversation, little coaching, little conversation, little coaching, lead a group again. So you have to continually in a group situation, turn it up, turn it down, turn it up, turn it down. And it's, it is tough to balance, especially when it's very busy. Right. Yeah. And it's, and I mean, within the group, there's different group dynamics, right? You have, we all have, we all know people that are in our group or more um, talkative and they are going to go out of their way to talk to you. Mm-hmm. My, what like I like to do, and I know Kevin does this, he tries to seek out the more reserved person or the person who doesn't feel as comfortable mm-hmm. in the gym and get them to become like we are going to talk about in your uh, winter summer talk is how do you get that person to love coming to the gym Mm -hmm. who maybe isn't the most athletic person or doesn't do things well? How do we turn them into a a lifelong client? 
Yeah, yeah. It's like you when I see those people. My those group, are like your uh, projects. Yeah, I'm like, okay, how am I going to craft this person? Totally. Um, and just start to figure, okay, what can I talk to them about? And he might have nothing to do with training. I might not really coach them hard at all because mm-hmm. he realized they're usually intimidated. So it, rather than feeling it as coaching, they feel it as criticism or they feel like they're doing something wrong. So I just, you know, again, set them up to be successful, do, give them things they'll do well, and then just find things to talk to them about right. so that they can start to get their anxiety down about being in the facility. Because one of the quotes from um, Never Lose a Customer that, again, I, that I really like is like, a new customer is at best unsure or even worse, frustrated by their unfamiliarity with your way of doing business. And I think with gyms, we forget about that. We think they're like, oh, they're just going to come in. They don't know where to go. When people come into our gym, especially because of the way we're set up now, they come in and I'm like, well, the foam rolls are over here. So we're going to walk you over. Yep. And they have to figure out like that routine. That alone is an excuse for someone who's on the fence about working out to be like, ah, maybe not for me. I felt unsure. And so you want to continue to handhold them through. And then like in a group, I'll be, I'll be like, I'll, you said, turn it on, turn it off. I'll be like, this is what we're going to do. I give them like demo, excuse, uh, demos, instructions, sets, reps, and I just zoom back into that person. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. And I repeat it to them in a voice that's more relatable to them, talk to them, and then kind of hang with them. And then I will go back down. I try to stay like I, in my 645 group, I have like an extroverted corner. Yeah. And then I kind of have an introverted corner, like in my group, they separate themselves kind of naturally. Like they do. The people yeah. at the front of the gym are kind of quiet. The people in the back of the gym never stop talking. And if I stay down there, if I start to talk to them, I never get to the other side. And so I always say, okay, I got to go up and down the line, hang out down here, hang out down here, and like put your little inputs with each person and check-ins. But that each little time you do that endears them to being in your facility or working with you. And you have to think about like the people who are the hardest to work with, the quiet people, those are people that leave. Those are the silent customers, the person you worry about because one day you come in and there's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. And so you want to continue to have touch points with them so that they don't just like fall off and disappear so that they end up staying with your business. And usually the people that are hardest to work with are the people you should work with, right? Because they're hard because they're not comfortable. They're not sure. They're not sure about you. And it's very easy to be like, oh, I'm just going to hang out with this person who could talk my ear off, but they're going to stay here regardless. They're going to talk to the squat rack if you let them, mm-hmm. right? You have to continue to try to work with each individual in the group um, to try to get them to buy into your process. Yeah, that's why, I mean, group group coaching is so nuanced because everything you just said is it's having those touch points with every single person in the group. Mm-hmm. And with the person who's more reserved or quiet, it's it's leading with curiosity versus criticism. Mm-hmm. If you're just like, oh, you're not doing this, you got to do this better. You know, you're not doing this right versus asking them questions and getting them to maybe open the door a little bit so you can kind of find a connection point and get them to make sure, like, make them want to come back, like I said. When you started group coaching, because you didn't really have any experience before, really, then other than being a ULO, correct? Correct, yeah. Um, where did you struggle? Like, whether it was in your internship or right after you got hired, what was difficult for you um, as a coach? The adults. It was like, I how do I relate to this 60-year-old who has been coming here for 10-plus years? Mm-hmm. Like, how, what am I supposed to talk to them about? Um, but then when you start doing it more and you start asking them questions – you know, they like to talk about their kids. So their kids would play sports and then I would crack that door. And the more questions I started to ask, the more they became friendly to me and I would learn their names and they would say hi to me. Then that allowed me to start giving them a little bit of advice or a little bit of cueing. Um, and then over time, you start to feel more confident with yourself about your coaching and your cueing. And you turn those like at first problems and issues to it's just a regular, you know, a regular group for you. Yeah. With the kids, it's like you kind of can be a little bit more of a dictator. You tell them what to do, and they they listen to you, mm-hmm. um, or they see you and they're like they think you're cool and you're young and they want to be like you. So you can be a lot more impressionable with them. Um, but it was the delts for me. Yeah, it's a completely different relationship dynamic where like the kids one, they might have been coming for a while, but they don't really know you any differently. And yeah, they think you're like, if they listen to you or they think you're cool, they're more likely to listen to you. Yeah, strength conditioning coach is one of those really interesting jobs, whereas like most people are, or at least in our facility, are younger. Mm -hmm. And so they're a little bit more close to the age of the kids that come in. So they look to you as someone who's kind of cool. They already see you as a position of authority. Totally. Whereas the adults, some guy in Winchester who makes like half a million dollars a year and comes here and has been coming here for 10 years, like, who is this kid? Right. And so that's why, like, when we have interns, we typically, we start them with athlete groups always. Yeah. We don't start them with adult groups because 
it's a much easier entrance for them mm -hmm. to start to manage a group. Whereas the adults bullshit meter is much more sensitive uh, to someone who might not necessarily be confident yet. And so once they get confident, we start to feed them into there. And what do we always say? It's like, don't coach them until you know their name, know where they're from, know their interests, know their family. Cause then they'll be like, Oh, you care about me. Or like, mm -hmm. we actually have some sort of relationship. Now they're open to coaching. Whereas if you just go over to someone who's been here forever and you start coaching them, they're going to be like, who the fuck is this person? <laughs> and so you want to make sure you start to develop that relationship beforehand. And that's, that's tough to do. And that's why some people just want to coach kids mm -hmm. and that's fine. Um, but you find people like if you're going to make a living working with adults, your emotional intelligence and communication skills have to be like the top of the list in my opinion, uh, because it's all about relationships. And that's why you see many, um, approaches to exercise that you and I, or some of the listeners might look at and say, why do people train there? Mm -hmm. Like you watch how they train. You don't agree with their programming philosophy. You don't agree with the coaching. Everything looks bad, but people love it. Right. Because those coaches might be really good communicators and have really good leadership skills, despite their technical, uh, shortcomings. Right. You see it all the time. Mm -hmm. And it, you talked about like, especially with the adults, it's, it's, doing the things outside the, like, yes, you're going to get better coaching on the floor, but it's okay. How, how can I find ways to be more interesting? What can I read? Do I have to read New York times? Do I have to watch this Netflix show? So yep. I, it just, you're finding different ways to try to relate with them. Um, and that comes from asking them questions and trying to get, um, uh, better, uh, emotional intelligence, finding ways to connect with your clients, all these other things outside of strength and conditioning. Um, because the reality is like, they don't care about this stuff as much as we do. They, they you got to find your entry point with them. Dude, I've watched Real Housewives <laughs> for women that I have trained because that's what they talked about the whole time. I was like, oh, I guess I'll tune in. Ariel, I, I mean, Ariel. Yeah, help you. Yeah, help you. I'm like, can you tell me who, who's who? Uh, which, wait, which city? Is it Salt Lake? Mm -hmm. Is it New Jersey? Uh, but you like that, that is a conversation point. For me, it was right. the bachelor, the bachelor. Yeah, also the bachelor. I, I watched the, the bachelor, bachelor right? a bunch of like the women that I trained. We talk about it, and I just had no, nothing to input. Like I had no nothing to say. So I'd watch a couple episodes, and I'm like, I think he's gonna win, and I would just throw them out just yeah. to get the conversation started. Yeah. Um, and, and again, it, it makes it a more of a fun dynamic mm -hmm. to get everyone involved. Yeah. And people always, I always hear people talk about like difficult clients. Like I fire clients who are difficult. And in my experience, whenever I had someone who was difficult. It was something that I struggled with. Mm -hmm. um, I had people who, from a therapy standpoint, I thought were like what people would call like a malinger. Oh, they're always injured. They're always complaining. I didn't do a good job explaining their situation to them and helping them understand chronic pain or something like that. Okay, I learned there. Um, someone who I thought you know was very demanding, uh, maybe my serv my service skills weren't where they need to be. And there is there's people sometimes who just don't gel with you, right? And that's okay. But every time I challenge trainers to say, like, this person's difficult, I say, okay, why are they difficult? Yeah. Um, is it because you don't relate to them? Well, what could we do to make you relate to them more, to understand them a little bit better and start to figure them out? To me, I feel like it's a project. I'm like, I'm going to get this person. I'm going to win this person over to our facility and to me and to, to coaching. But it's on us, right? It's that extreme ownership idea. Like, exactly. I can get this person um, to relate to me. And I once I changed my mindset about that, I didn't really want to get rid of clients anymore. I thought like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get this person uh, to fit with me um, because if you're going to actually be successful and do this for a long time, you're going to have to work with people who mm -hmm. off rip might not seem like they're the right person for you. And then sometimes they end up being like your favorite people to work with once you develop a relationship. Yeah. That, I mean, that takes a lot of like growth mindset and mm -hmm. like reflecting of and taking kind of like if they, if there's someone who's confrontational or, who are always injured, it's, you know, taking a couple deep breaths and yeah. before you react, um, cause yeah. you want to just like jump down their throat sometimes, but yeah, it's, it's your, your ability to view it, view the problem a little bit differently mm -hmm. and, um, try to work towards it being like, okay, this is my one hour where I have to really work hard to make this hour run smoothly, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and sometimes I find then those people end up being some of your most like and they love you. love you. Yeah, they end up following because you. usually they're also dealing with something. In my experience, realize again we're not just trainers; we're also like kind of psychologists, role. And yeah. like my mind, like in every time it was that person was dealing with something, and it was my ability to communicate them with about that and break through whatever that layer was that they end up wanting to be in this, be in our facility more um, from there. Um, 
Yeah, well, that just kind of leads to like the last point. We kind of went on a tangent, but like the last point of my presentation is the client experience. Yeah. Like we care about the conditioning coaches so much about exercise programming and philosophies. But the reality is like our clients don't know the difference between a good program and a bad program, Zero. but they do know the difference between a good experience and a bad experience. Yeah. So finding ways to connect with them, making them feel like they're the most important hour of your day mm -hmm. um, because they're only in there for one hour a day. They don't care that you got up at 4 a.m. No. Um, they care about their one session. And how do you do that repeatedly over and over again? Um, the really good coaches know how to do that. Mm -hmm. The ones that struggle or constantly lose clients or have retainment issues struggle with that. Yeah. And the beauty of group coaching is that it's a win-win for everyone because it's typically a less expensive investment for the consumer. And it's a more profitable hour for the coach or the business owner. Mm -hmm. And so, like, unless you're doing really high-ticket personal training, mm -hmm. and we do a ton of one-on-one -on -one personal training. Yeah. So I, I know a few years ago, everyone said personal training is dead. It's alive and well. I can oh, tell you with certainty <laughs> that it's alive and well. Um, but group training, especially if you're not in a, a economic area where people can pay. I mean, personal training, it should be $100 an hour Easy. Um, yeah. everywhere you go. I mean, it's really what it's what what it's at right now, at least. And so it's a luxury item. Most people are not going to pay for that. So being able to build a group training approach allows people to get in there for $25, $30 a workout probably, mm -hmm. right? Like like essentially what it equates to for us, um, for our, our larger groups. Um, and so that's reasonable for people to come twice a week. Um, and then you have 10 people paying that. All of a sudden, your hours worth a lot more. Mm -hmm. And so I tell people, like, I hear people, I'm only doing one-on-one. -on -one, I'm only doing one-on-one. -on -one. Great. But... At some point, if you want to scale a business, yeah. what's the scalability? Uh, unless you're going to hire a bunch of really good one-on-one -on -one coaches um, and get a lot of high-ticket people, being able to reach people and deliver fitness to people who might not be able to afford one-on-one -on -one coaching, because if we didn't have group coaching, we would not have the business that we have, right? Nope. Um, then it, it allows you to be a much more scalable business that can reach a much wider population. I think it goes to, like, what are the two things our coaches always ask for? They want to make more money. And work less hours. So if, if you can if you find a Bingo. way, if you can find a way to kind of group some people up, and instead of doing five singles, you'd make that you know a quint or a quad, um, and you can still make it an individualized experience for them. Like that's where you're gonna make way more money. Your business is gonna do exponentially better. And like Kevin said, the scalability is just so much more. And it's interesting. I think. The reason we've been successful at group coaching is because Mike came from a strength conditioning background and went into a fitness, like uh, general fitness facility with strength conditioning, mm -hmm. as opposed to, I think it's harder for the traditional one-on-one -on -one trainer to go and try to go and change their mindset to group training, right? Because someone with a strength conditioning background, someone who works in a collegiate setting, a high school setting, a professional setting, um, and you're always working with groups. You're almost never doing one-on-ones. Like it's, it's more rare that you have an athlete one-on-one. -on -one. So you have to think about all of those things kind of implicitly. You're in a collegiate strength conditioning coach. Your resources and time are low. Yep. And you, you probably have – your coach-to-athlete ratio is probably 20-something to one, not even 10 or 12 to one like we might yeah, have. Right. Maybe even more. 40, yeah. yeah, like football teams. And so you have to think about systems. Why do you think these college weight rooms all look like – they all look the same. They look like ours. Rack, rack, rack down the middle. Platform, platform, platform. Rack, rack, rack. Bench, bench, bench. Because – it has to be set up for scale. Mm -hmm. And then so to take that same mindset and put it into uh, general fitness, yep. right, is very easy for that person. I think for Mike, Mike came from Mike, – Mike's never really been a personal trainer, <laughs> right? Like he has Doc. Yeah. And I know he does. He did, he's done personal training. But Mike has always been a strength conditioning coach. Like, so I think the mindset that he has to build groups works very naturally for our business. Whereas I think sometimes if you're someone who just is always doing one-on-ones, the idea of being like – how am I going to do 10 one-on-ones at the same time, right? Is a much more intimidating thought process. Well, yeah. The, I mean, I think the one-on-one -on -one trainer thinks, no, no, no. Like the, I need to make individualized programs for every single person. Mm -hmm. The reality is if you do that and you do that 300, like 300, 400 times, you're going to realize like a lot of these programs look the same, <laughs> yes. right? So it's not so much individualized programming as it's individualized coaching mm -hmm. for that person. So you could have your, your template, and then you can make adjustments on the sheet versus writing and wasting so many hours of your of your time that you're not actually coaching people from actually writing programs. Yeah. Right? I remember um, hearing Charlie Weingroff say, like, in one of the training versus rehabs, there's what, like three or four of them, so I don't know which one it was. But he said, like, when dealing with an injured athlete, mm -hmm. right, 
pretend they're not injured and write what you would think would be perfect for that ideal type of client. So let's say our, our average athlete is like a 15-year-old hockey player. Yep. Write the program for the average 15-year-old hockey player or from a adult client. Our average client's like an average a 55-year-old man or woman. Write the ideal two- or three-day-a-week program for a healthy 55-year-old man or woman. Mm-hmm. Start there. And then, he said, with injuries, use your progressions and regressions and lateralizations to bring it to, to pull back the things or lateralize the things they cannot do. Because the training will always be more aggressive, right, if you start with them healthy and you just pull out the other things. It's the same thing if people are generally healthy and you're working in a group, right? Write the ideal program for what your avatar is, what's your average client in the group. And then, like you said, it's individualized coaching. Use your system to be like, ah, you're not going to jump today. Um, you're not going to, you know, deadlift today, whatever yeah. it might be. I think, I mean, for us, that's the best way for our coaches to make connections with our athletes and clients. It's, hey, let me see your sheet. Mm-hmm. I know that deadlifts don't feel good on your back. Instead of doing that, I'm going to cross that out. We're going to do scare squats. We're still going to work your legs. We're going to uh, get you stronger. So now you're building that relationship with them actively together as opposed mm-hmm. to writing a program for something. They don't even know why we're doing this exercise. So being able to explain it, this is a better exercise for you here's why mm-hmm. it, it allows the coach athlete relationship to just get uh accelerate a lot faster so like you're right because like talk about connecting with a client when you coach them one of the i find one of the biggest things like when you say to them hey let me see your sheet real quick i'm just going to make this adjustment for them you realize from their perspective they're thinking like oh wow he's he really cares or he knows about my situation. Like the, when you sit, you write all your athletes weights in on your sheet mm-hmm. and you say, Hey, this is what we're going to do today. Like the little moment I have when we get into the weight room and I go through the sheet with each person, that's really important mm-hmm. because to them, they think like I'm individual, individualizing them, which I am, but it's that little moment of connection that they think like, Oh, this is great. I'm getting great service here. Even if I have 10 kids whose sheets I go through. So I we always say to our coach, like take the time, write the numbers in, go over the sheet with each kid each day. Um, because for them, then they feel like, oh, my God, I'm very confident going this. This is the right weights. This is the, this is the coach thought about what they're programming for me. All those little touch points mm-hmm. keep getting them a little bit more endeared to your program. Mike always says, uh, bad coaches say, I'll remember. Good coaches write it down. And yeah. it's that, like, that's taking that second to write on their sheet. You know, you got 85 for five reps. Next week, we're going to do 90 for five reps. You know, mm-hmm. it's taking that second to write down so that you know going into and again preparing for next week yeah. you know next session next week whatever it is mm-hmm. yeah and so you know I, I think the organizational skills is another thing that you have to develop as a coach right when you first start like i remember being like, I have all the sheets like this kid right this here but then if you start to be like okay i'm gonna take when i know when i have my group on you know monday wednesday my athlete kids right, earlier in the day i pull the folder mm-hmm. i look at the notes i wrote from the last time i fill in everything else so that way when they get there i can just talk to them about it hand to them, they go. And it makes the, the group run a lot smoother. Like you say, we're on a time constraint. I can't spend five minutes going through their sheets in the group. I have to have done it all ahead of time. And then, like I said, making sure when they give me their sheet back at the end of the workout, that it's filled out completely. Because the kids always just be like, I'm like, you didn't fill anything out like <laughs> after the numbers, your starting numbers that I wrote in. Um, and being like, okay, so that way it's ready for the next time that they come. All those little uh, organizational tasks make the group run smoother and also make them feel like it's a more consistent operation that they're going to. And that's the difference of like what a quality coach does. It's, it's taking it. The group doesn't start at the time the group starts. It's all the prep work you're doing beforehand. It's writing all their weights in. it's knowing your demos and being able to know your queuing and how you're going to do this the uh, best way possible for when the group starts. Yeah, and even setting up the weight room. And setting up the weight room. That's yeah. the one thing we always say with the interns it's like, okay, if groups are three, we want to be out there uh, to something, starting to get everything set up. And when the interns aren't there, it's us out there setting it up and like making sure that all the trap bars are there, all the kettlebells are there, all the platforms, all the benches are in the right place. Because if you have to spend a bunch of time running around and grabbing equipment, um, it takes away from the experience for them and they're just standing around. And every time they're standing around, they're not doing something. And uh, the smart consumer is like, they're wasting my time. Right. I, with the adults, I hate when they're just standing around because I know they're always thinking like, I have to get something else after this. I'm paying X amount of money. Those are dollars per minute that they're losing. And so you want to make sure that, hey, if I have a group at 6 a.m., that means you're there at 5 something making sure everything's set up. What do we do during COVID? We have to be outside. Oh, brutal. We, we have to bring all the weights outside. We and all go outside. We all show up at like 5, 
grab all the bikes, all the benches, all the dumbbells, lug them all out there. And then the night, bring them all back in, right? Walk uphill both ways in the snow uh, type of story. But that's the stuff you need to do if you're trying to, if you're trying to maximize their session and their hour that they're in the facility, Mm -hmm. it's doing all the upfront work. Um, so that again, you could create the best experience possible for your clients. Mm -hmm. Um, are there any resources outside of your presentation, uh, of course, um, that you would recommend people that were helpful to you other than like, I mean, obviously taking an internship, getting group coaching experience is probably the number one thing. It is the number one thing that you should do if you want to get better at it. You don't know, but are there any resources that helps you kind of understand how to, whether it be more professional, like you said, prep work before, or your communication skills during, or your uh, programming philosophy? Uh, for me, I mean, it's, I, I would say like, I kind of was raised through the, like the system and the programming through MBSC. So any kind of quality uh, strength and conditioning program where you're going to get real experience and hands-on and learn through osmosis, mm-hmm. kind of like I did, um, will help you with that. Um, but I think any really good uh, customer service books kind of teach you the difference between a good experience versus a bad experience. So mm-hmm. like you said, I think you mentioned uh, Never Lose a Customer Again. Um, any book on Disney, yeah. like uh, what was the one we read? Um, uh, I might have it right here somewhere. Um, yeah, the, the, we've got like four different, I know I can lessons of the mouse was, yes, was, was one, one of them. them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any customer service books is really good. Um, and then from the art of coaching, I think just, just listen to like strength coach podcast and then learning of like what are really good coaches talking about and doing, mm-hmm. um, will help you as a coach develop. Yeah. The biggest thing too, is that like, if say you're in a position Right now, we're like, hey, I can't afford to go to an internship. Just go shadow and see other yeah. people work because it can be really helpful to go see how other people run groups. And you're like, oh my god, open my eyes up to like this uncapable of this or like this is how they fix this problem. And it's very hard when you're in your own bubble if you're working. Like you said, you're working 30, 40 sessions a week. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have a lot of time, but if you can take a day to go and see another coach, you'd be surprised. The amount of people that if you email them or call them and say, hey, um, I just wanted to come see what you do, will say yes. Um, and then you're going to open your eyes up to like, Oh my God, there's a different way of doing things and you get outside of your bubble. And for me too, like when I was a young coach, I would, I'd watch the other coaches that were at the gym who had busy groups mm-hmm. and was always busy and was always making more money. And I just, wa- I'd, I'd watch them and I assess them like, what are they doing? Why, why are their, why are their clients always laughing? Why do they look like they're having fun when they're working yeah. out? Like that's the difference. Um, and being able to just have those tools in your toolbox is going to make you a better coach. Mm-hmm. All right, man. So this brings us to our weekly segment. Okay. This is the uh, book recommendation segment. And so for you, it could be any book on anything. It doesn't even have to be you're going to your Audible. I'm going to my Audible uh, that You would recommend our people. We'll put it in the show notes. So tell us why yeah. you like it, why uh, you enjoy it. I'll pull one off my let me, let me think about this one. What's a quality book? I think uh, one book I reread um, was I'll Teach You to Be Rich. Um, right behind you. Let me grab it. How do you, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, so I don't want to butcher Sethi. it. Sethi. Sethi? Ramit? Yeah. Um, it just, I think personal finance is something that every person needs to have yep. um, a somewhat foundational knowledge about. Um, and as strength coaches, uh, being able to think, how can I make my money work for me? Mm-hmm. Um, just a really a lot of practical uh, takeaways from this book. For you me. know what I really liked about this? He even goes as far as like, this is how your bank account should be set up. This mm-hmm. is how your investment account should be set up. Like to the point, like these are the banks I use. This is how you should connect them. This is where your, your payroll should go to here. Like all things that no one taught you yeah. to do that make one finance much less intimidating mm-hmm. because like, I think many people are like, I don't even know where to start. So they just don't do it. And then 20 years goes by and they still haven't done anything. Yeah. Right? Whereas that gives you very practical approaches to do it. Um, it's not him selling you like an idea that you're going to be a billionaire, but you having a life that you can support, which say a rich life. Yeah. Um, What's your rich life? And, and being able to do it in a way that is really easy. It doesn't take a lot of time out of your day. Like people think you have to spend your whole day. Like, no, you set it up and let it just kind of yeah, run. Set it and forget it and yeah. let it run for you. Um, so that would be my recommendation. Where's my bag? What are you going with? Right here. Uh, so it's funny. This book, was given to me as a gift from Don Stanley in okay. 
when you were there. Yeah, yeah Don. 2020, when we were in uh, Fort Lauderdale. And he, look at this, he got signed for me by the author. Oh, wow. And I hadn't read it. Over By Jason Redmond. Um, and it's very good, actually. You know, I mean, so it kind of. What's, think, it, what's it about? So he was a Navy SEAL. Okay. Right, operator. Um, it had to crush adversity with the leadership techniques of America's toughest warriors. And, you know, it's very good. You get some stories from him in the military, some personal stories of his life, um, how he was injured in battle, nearly died, um, and just how he deals with things in life. Right. And it's a very uh, interesting read. It's an easy read as far as like uh, some stories, some lessons, very similar to extreme ownership. And that like you get a story from his operator experience and then practical application. And so it's very good. I, I very enjoyed it. I brought it on vacation with me and I'm like almost done with it now. So I've kind of flown through. Uh, next uh, I could so. read anything. Navy sales, their stories. Very good. Yeah. Very good. I enjoy it. I very much enjoyed it. So Don, thank you. I know it's been a couple of years since you gave me, but I, I did just read it and I like it very much. So I appreciate that. So, um, well, we'll put notes, the links to these in the show notes. I'll put a link to Vinny's presentation in the show notes as well. Um, again, winter seminar or spring seminar. I keep saying winter seminar. Years and years of doing the winter. Spring seminar, April 1st and 2nd. Um, Saturday, Sunday at Mike Bullish for the conditioning. Uh, we have Jordan Syatt, Pat Van Galen, Scott Livingston, Mike Boyle, of course, uh, myself, Lenny Toludo, Dan McGinley, and Eric Daddario all speaking. Um, it is available both online um, for live stream as well as in person. If you come in person, we also have a free workout both mornings as well as a social at the brewery down the street so you get the added experience. You're also welcome to come all week and hang out, as many people do. Um, it will also be available after the fact. Um, online uh, on MBSC TV for purchase as well. And it's been approved uh, for CEUs by both um, NS NASM and um, um, what's the, uh, the other one? Not, not NSCI. Uh, the, uh, no, no, not ACSM. So it's, it's, it's approved by CEUs uh, <laughs> uh, by uh, NASM. Um, and so and that is available for both the live stream in person as well as the self-study after the fact. So if you need CEUs, come and get it. It's always a great weekend. We hope to see you there. And uh, I'll talk to you next time. Thank you, Vinny. Thank you for having me, Kevin. Thank you.